0: Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father and God and Father. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation, with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky, as you hold firmly to the word of life.
1: Thank you for doing that. That's awesome. That's a great setup for our message today on on serving. Welcome to our, Was it, the fifth, is it five Sundays in Lent? Is Easter that close? Do you realize that? Wow, it's just around the corner. This Lent series has been great. I, I've really enjoyed it. I, I mean, maybe you haven't enjoyed it as much because you haven't had to hear me, but I, I've enjoyed exploring through this Gospel of John, these few chapters, 11, 12, 13, and really getting into what does it mean for us to be followers of Jesus? And we've explored a lot of different things, and and uh, I'm, I'm excited with what we've what we've been learning. Today, we're going to look in particular what it means to serve, what it means to serve following the example of Jesus. Serving is one of the central marks. Of the Christian community, it's what defines us, it's what's defined the Christian community for thousands of years. And and today we look at one of those, just really one of the most classic stories where Jesus leads us into service by his own example. Let me just give a little bit of overview about gifts and, and service here, because I think it was helpful as I thought it through. I'm going to put a scripture on the screen from Romans 12. Says in His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well, and that's uh, we've talked about that different times. Maybe it's time for us to explore it again. But the reality is, as followers of Jesus, we've been given spiritual gifts. You're specialists in some way, where God has given you unique abilities and talents that are able to move His kingdom forward, build up His church, invest in people's lives bring glory to God and, 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 and really make Jesus' name famous. And, and, and Paul lists a bunch of different gifts, just kind of a representative list, but one of them he lists is the gift of serving. He says, if your gift is serving others, serve them well. The truth is, some of us have a spiritual gift of service or serving, or sometimes it's been called helps. Some of you may know that you have that gift. Others may be able to identify people around you who have that gift. These are the people who always seem to show up. They're always giving to themselves. They're often working behind the scenes. They seem to have an incredible capacity for service. And they don't seem overly concerned with whether they're noticed. In fact, they often don't want to be recognized. They're the kind of people who are always oriented toward others, toward uh, people sometimes toward causes or projects that really make a difference in people's lives or in the larger community. God has given them a gift, and through that spiritual gift of serving, they're able to bring blessing and hope and healing and witness in the name of Jesus to seemingly everyone in their lives. I could name some names today. Some of you are here. But I don't want to name you because then you'd stop serving and go somewhere else. We love you who have the gift, the spiritual gift of service. We love you. We're thankful for you. We want you to continue to cultivate that gift, to grow it bigger, to learn to use it more effectively in our community and in, in, in our larger community as well, just as the scripture says. So there, that's those who have the spiritual gift of serving. Then there's the rest of us who don't. <laughs> oh, we serve, of course. We serve in lots of different ways. We serve in lots of the same ways, right? We serve with the gifts that God has given To us, we, we, we are loving and we're helping and we're, we're building the kingdom, we're working in the name of Jesus according to the gifts He's given us. But if we're honest, we don't seem to have quite the same capacity as these others do. You know what I'm saying? We just, we have to like give ourselves a bunch of self-talk sometimes just to show up. Or am I the only one who has to talk to themselves here and there every once in a while? It it seems like we maybe have to do a little bit more work sometimes to remind ourselves of of how important this is, to to make time for it in in our schedules. We have to learn more patience because it just might not come quite as naturally as it seems to come to some others. But here's the thing. Gifted or not, every Christian has been called to serve, like Jesus served. Now, this is actually true of other spiritual gifts, too. Let me use a few examples. There are those who are gifted in evangelism, which means it's like God has given them a unique ability to explain, uh, who Jesus is and explain their faith and, and make a connection with people in a way that people are, are drawn to Christ uniquely. And, and it seems like through their, their words and their actions and, and, and and what they do, like lots of people come to find Jesus and follow him. And, and, and they're gifted in, in evangelism. And we wanna, we wanna, you know, encourage that and 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 tell them to go for that. But the reality is, every Christian, every follower of Jesus, without fail, is called to be able to explain why they follow Jesus. Now, every Christian should be able to express the basics of of, of Christianity, and, and and every Christian is called to actually make that known in the lives of others around them. There's no exceptions in that. Every Christian, in that sense, is called to. Evangelism, even if we recognize there are those who are really gifted at it and we want them to really, you know, help us move ahead. Another example would be those who are gifted in giving. Did you know that there are those who are spiritually gifted in giving? Some of you are. Where God has given you a unique ability to, a, a, a type of, not just a generous heart, that of course is part of it, a generous heart, but a sense that God has given you ability to make money, create wealth, start businesses, whatever whatever your circumstances are, and, and you just have this gift of giving of yourself financially, giving of your energy, your passions, your interests, and you just love to invest in the things that God is doing in people's lives, in the church, in you know missionary work, in philanthropic stuff, significant things that are going on. You've been gifted with a spiritual gift of giving. But every Christian is called to give, Every, every Christian is called to steward what we've been given, to, to give generously and to, and to live generously with everything that God has, has given. So we don't just ask the gifted givers to give. They need to give, they need to give, and they need to grow that gift. But we're all called to give. I'll give one more example. There are those of us who are gifted in faith, which is this ability to really not just believe that God is doing something good, but to kind of be able to like see it. And be able to move into that and, and lead into that and encourage the community that they're in and to, to, to like, let's go for this thing that God is doing. He's going to take us there. This is like the two spies, you know, Joshua and Caleb saying, we can do it. Let's go. God is behind us. It doesn't matter how big the giants are. We can, we can do it, right? And, and it's important that people who have that kind of big faith are, are able to speak and, and lead us as, as a community. But they aren't the only ones who have that faith. We're all called to trust. In Jesus and, and, and to even boldly go, can I say that? Or maybe just timidly go, but at least go after Jesus, trusting that he's going to lead us, right? I could keep going, but you uh, could get, get the point. Today we're talking about serving in particular and whether you're particularly gifted in service or whether you're a follower of Jesus of normal variety and you've got other gifts to offer. All of us are challenged into greater service today, following, in particular, the example of Jesus. Last week, we explored the challenge that Jesus gave, where he said, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world, and can I just sidebar this, because that if you've asked me, this is not that ugly self-hatred, self-loathing thing that we need to actually deal with, because Jesus really does love us. This has to do with Jesus comparing that The kind of things you prioritize, the kind of things you've done, compared to what others think, it's going to look like you just disregard your life. Because you've got a vision or what God wants to do in people's lives, in this world, and you know your life at the end of the day really only matters in comparison to what God wants to do. So anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. Jesus himself made a connection between his sacrifice and our sacrifice, between our service of him and our following of him. He's the one who says that uh, as, you know, his followers, we need to be willing to sacrifice our lives for the sake of others just as he did. But let's be honest. When we think about sacrifice, well, we think pretty grandiose, don't we? I mean, at least I can. You know, it's like, I'll give my life, you know, I'll jump on the grenade. I'll leap into traffic. I'll give away all my money and live like a monk. Or I'll die the martyr's death. I was highly motivated by that when I was in my teen years. I thought, that's it, man, I'm going to give my life. Yes. And we can think about it very dramatically. But let's get real for a moment. Though there are those Christian brothers and sisters in the world today who are persecuted and we pray for them and we stand for them, the reality is for most people today and for, I would say, all of us here today, sacrifice doesn't really look like that. Sacrifice looks a lot more like daily choosing to serve others. That's sacrificial. Daily choosing to serve others. Even when we don't feel like it, even when it's not very fun, not very glamorous, when no one notices at all. And that can be very, very tough. I mean, how do we keep serving in the name of Jesus when we're feeling kind of used? How, how do we keep serving when we are alone and we feel like we have nothing to offer? When we're, when we're lonely and we're stuck at home with some Toddlers, I was going to give them some adjectives, but you know, let's just keep toddlers. And, and we feel like we're always serving. No one's serving me. Right? What does it mean for us to serve in the name of Jesus in, in my retirement years? When everything around us, when our entire culture reinforces the idea that this is your turn. You should serve you. Because this is the time you've got to, instead of maximizing the final years you have, and really making them count? What does it mean for us to serve when we feel so busy, so swamped, so so crazy overloaded, where serving just sounds like Ugh, another thing on my schedule, like I can't handle it, I'm going to puke? What does it mean for us to serve our difficult neighbors? Or our ungrateful mothers, or our exasperating sons? How do we keep ourselves centered as we serve on what on what truly matters? How do we keep serving from a place of love? not from a place of guilt, not from a place of resentment, not from a place of poor me and pity and victim and martyr, a place of entitlement. Well, if you've ever wondered any of those things, the passage today is going to help. Because Jesus leads us into service. John 13 is where we are. At the start of John 13, there's an insert in your bulletin with a text on it, but you also can find it if you have a Bible or a phone with a Bible app on it. Starting in verse 1. Before the Passover celebration, that's the big celebration where they celebrate yearly God's deliverance out of Egypt many, many years before, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and returned to God. So. Let's pause right there. So. I love that. So. So what? Well, I, let me throw out a little bit of a thought experiment. I know that most of you know where this story's going, but just try to hold it back for a moment and think. You have all power and all authority, but you have a very limited window of time. You wanna convey the only, only, you wanna convey only the most important truth that your followers need to know. What do you do? Well, it would kinda depend on what you're trying to do, right? Okay, so, so what if you're trying to instill something that is gonna shape the character and the direction and the heart of your community into the future? What if there was one thing that if it was neglected or ignored or missed, it could potentially destroy your whole legacy? What if you were trying to create a culture of perpetual leadership that would continue to value and reproduce what you yourself had started? What would you do then? I have no idea what I would have done. You know, made a list? Created some kind of binding constitution and got them to sign it? In blood? I don't know, create some sort of like secret handshake that we could pass? To... What, would, what, would, what would you do? I don't know. But what Jesus does is completely unexpected. And you might have noticed if you've been traveling through even this series in the Gospel of John or other places in the Gospels, Jesus has a tendency to do this sort of thing, to do what no one was expecting him to do. So, so he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. All of that lead up, you know, He is from God and going to God and he loves disciples and he has all authority. All of that lead up and that's what Jesus did. Jesus got up, stripped down, wrapped around, poured out, and bent over. He proceeded to do for his disciples what only a low slave would have done. Now this whole washing foot business is so far removed from us it kind of feels like a Bible story, if you know what I'm saying. Not not something really connected to us, even though we kind of know mentally, yeah, dirty feet, open sandals, who knows what they walked in, come in, and now they're on carpets, yeah, we want to get their feet cleaned. We kind of get that. But, but I think the cultural equivalent for us might be more like this. Like, who's signing up to do toilet duty at a truck stop? Yeah. Or, how about cleaning up after a teenage house party that has gone bad? Or maybe, this might get closer to home, cleaning out that chicken coop after a very long winter. And then what's more, doing it alone with everyone in the room watching you do it. And no one's offering to help. Just just think about that for a moment, as some of the feelings that might come from that. Why would Jesus do this? Why would he do what he did? Well, John actually tells us why. In fact, he's already told us why. There's five motivations that sit behind Jesus' service on this day. We're going to take them in turn. They're all located in verses 1 through 3. Let's go through them. First, Jesus was motivated by urgency. Jesus knew his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. For Jesus, time was short. All that he'd been saying, all that he'd been doing, all that he'd been teaching, the ways he'd been trying to reveal who he is and point people to the Father, all that's coming down to the wire. He's going to leave them soon. And if his disciples don't get it, then what? And what Jesus does is framed by this deep urgency, this sense that time is running out. That if he doesn't act now, there's not going to be another chance. He's urgent. Second, he's motivated by love. Jesus had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth and now he loved them to the very end. Jesus had faithfully loved his disciples. Even even Judas, who who then would betray him. And Peter, who would deny him. And all the other disciples who would turn tail and run. Now, what I love about this is Jesus not only serves them because of his love for them, but in this whole story, he, he compels them then to serve others as an expression of his love In them. Do you hear that? Not only does he serve them because he loves them, he's also trying to compel them to serve others as an expression of his love in them, flowing through them. Here in John, Jesus reveals his love for his disciples here just as much in this simple act of service as he would hours later when he hung on the cross. Jesus didn't make big distinctions between sort of the huge sacrifice and the lowly act of service. They're both expressions of his love for his disciples. So he's motivated by love. He's also motivated by his authority. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. I love this because it's so crazy different than anything in Jesus' culture. Anything that would have, you know, somebody up there doing this. It's just so wrong. In fact, it's so different than anything we see even in our culture. You know, Having complete authority, Jesus served. They call that a non-sequitur. They don't go together. That does not equal that. Having heard this, I'm not expecting this. Jesus has authority. Remember who Jesus is in the letter to the Colossians. We heard a bit of it in Philippians today when Maddie and uh, Emily read for us. But in Colossians we hear this. uh, Christ, Jesus Christ, is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. This Jesus who has all authority uses it to serve. What a, what a God. What a, what a King. And that moves us right into the fourth motivation, which is identity. Jesus knew that He had come from God. Jesus knows who He is. He's the Son of God, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, and because of who He is, He serves. Jesus didn't feel the need to sort of defend his identity, to sort of hold himself back so everyone could remember who he is and, and, and you, know, you know how important he was. He didn't need people to notice. He didn't need to be pretentious or pompous. He knew in a deeper way than you and I could ever imagine exactly who he was, that he was the one eternally begotten of the Father, you know, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, like the Nicene Creed states, because he knew who he was, he served. It was an expression of his identity. But he wasn't just motivated by his origin, his identity. He was also motivated by his, by his destiny. Jesus knew that he would return to God. That's his fifth motivation. And John actually repeats this. He actually starts with this returning to God and then, and then he comes back around at the end that he would return to God. Jesus knew his ultimate destiny. He knew His story backwards and forwards. He, he knew that He had come to die on a cross, to rest in the tomb, to rise from the dead and then ascend to His Father and would sit at the right hand of the Father until all His enemies were made His footstool, as we read later. Jesus knew His whole destiny in the, in the grand sweep of creation and of, of the fall, the, the great story of Israel's rise and then failure, of His own coming the rise and building of the church and the future of his reign in the world and the new creation coming. He he knows the whole story. He knows the whole epic tale. And he knows exactly where he's going in that story, where he's taking our story. And because of that, he got up and he served. You need to know, with this list of credentials, of course, we know Jesus could have done anything he wanted that day. Anything at all things that we can kind of imagine, things that were totally beyond our imagination. He could have done anything at all, but he does the one thing that he knew mattered most, the one thing that he knew would make a difference, the one thing that he knew would demonstrate not only who he is, but the kind of character that needs to shape the community that follows him. He does it in a concrete and powerful way. But not everyone's comfortable with being served, right? I mean... There's some discomfort, some shame that immediately surfaces at the idea of being served by Jesus. Let's read on. Verse 6. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. You will never... Wash my feet. Are you feeling a little bit of his uncomfort here? You know what I thought we'd do just to demonstrate how uncomfortable this would be? I thought we'd get some water and I would just randomly pick one of you that I could wash your feet this morning. How uncomfortable would you be with that? And and, and not somewhere in a back corner. Right up front where everyone can see you. Anyone feel uncomfortable? How many of you know I'm joking? What if I wasn't joking? What if I was completely serious? What if there really was water in here? Man, I would be uncomfortable. And I'm just some joker pastor from who knows where. This is Jesus washing the feet of one of his disciples. This is someone they followed, someone they've become to understand, the Messiah. This is crazy, shameful, they don't want anything to do with it. Then Jesus says, well, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. He's taking this whole washing business and he's now applying it in a way that is deeper, bigger. Simon Peter exclaimed, well, then wash my hands and head as well, Lord, not just my feet. you got to love that guy. He's all in. Jesus replied, a person who is bathed all over doesn't need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That's what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, Do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you want to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master. Nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. For Jesus, being a king means being a servant. Being a king means being a servant. And therefore anyone who is part of his kingdom serves. It's the nature of his kingdom. It's the nature of his kingship. And so the question is, how can we serve like that? How can we serve like Jesus? What's going to help us keep serving, keep showing up, keep bending down to wash the feet of someone else, whatever that actually looks like in our lives? I think it's only when we can adopt these same motivations that Jesus himself carried, the same reasons by which Jesus was compelled to serve, as long as that's compelling us, I think we'll be able to serve. And I, what I've done is I've taken these five motivations of Jesus and I've, I've tried to capture them as questions that we can ask anytime, but particularly maybe when we're struggling with how or when or if or why or what's going on when we serve. These are questions that are especially helpful, I think, on those dull days. When serving your three-year-old seems lifeless and mind-numbing. Right? You feel like drool is going to drip out of the side of your mouth if you have to read, you know, Dr. Seuss one more time. On those busy days when serving on the worship team or, or, or being part of the team that puts on, you know, things that go on here Sunday morning, when that morning just seems to come earlier and earlier. It's going to help on those times when you've got to show up somewhere early and no one else is around yet but there seems to be lots to do and everything seems like too much how about on those days when the self-pity just feels like it's going to crush you and you just want to sort of throw it all in and do something nice for yourself every once in a while right this is going to help i think on those great days when you feel like you're ready for anything you can conquer the world and go for it because god's with you or on those prayerful days when You're just longing to understand God's purpose for your life so that you can lean into it. Whatever the day, whatever the situation, whoever needs to be served, wherever we happen to be, how can we serve in the name of Jesus, like Jesus? I think these five questions will help. The first question we can ask is, when do I serve? Jesus was motivated by urgency, wasn't he? In this passage, certainly he was. And his answer in this case was, it's now or never. He knew that his time was running out. Now our time frame obviously is is different than his. But that doesn't mean there isn't an urgency involved and that urgency isn't a real motivation. Often when we're given an opportunity to serve a neighbor or a friend, it's on a a spur of the moment's notice. It's not something that we could have lined up in advance. It's not something that could have fit into our schedule. And if we don't take that opportunity, it's likely that it won't come around again. Sometimes we've got to see that while we may not be dying anytime soon, we hope, the chances to get in close, to really live life alongside of a neighbor or a friend, to show the love of Jesus to someone that you maybe weren't able to get close to, those opportunities just don't come around very often. And when we've got that chance to put on our coveralls and and help, then there really, really is no better time than now. Do it. There's an urgency there. Let's get a little closer to home. For those of us who still are in the active stage of raising kids, we can even forget with our own families in the busyness of our lives, we can forget that our time together, our time with our own children is is slipping away. I know we always say to each other all the time how our kids are growing up so fast, right? Somebody posts a memory on Facebook of their kids from like nine years ago, and you're like, whoa, look at how big they've grown. It's crazy. But in the midst of a busy week or maybe a crazy weekend or lots going on, Do we seize the time? Do we sense any urgency to actually pour into the lives of our kids, to actually serve them, to maybe put aside some of our own projects and take time, the time that's needed? Because as parents, I think we should be feeling some urgency around this. And we often forget. When do we serve? Well, the answer might be right now. Sometimes there's... uh, When we answer the question, when do I serve? We realize, as we reflect on it, that we're not the person to serve. The answer is not always yes. Sometimes we're not able to serve for various reasons. Sometimes we're already committed to serving someone else. Sometimes we realize there's good reasons. I'm not going to get involved in this situation. And we can say no. We are not designed individually to say yes to every opportunity there is. We can say no, but we might be able to help them connect to someone else who can help them. We might be able to, to, to send someone an email or a text or a phone call and highlight something. We might be able to just pray for them. We can still serve in some way, even if we ourselves, we know that it is not the right time to serve. We can recognize that, well, we're not Jesus. We're not the Messiah. We can't save everyone. But together as a community, we can be faithful with what God has given us and recognize that people uh, serve. So, first question, when do we serve? I think often we need to take the opportunities that God has given us as they come. Second question is, why do I serve? Jesus served because of his love. He showed his love to his disciples through his service to them. And as followers of Jesus, we also show love to others through our service to them. Knowing our purpose is to show the love of Jesus really grounds our service. Because when we are serving others, and often we're in the messy middle, we can be very confused about what is going on, what we should be doing or not doing, or maybe how our helping is starting to actually hurt someone, or whether we could have done more and so on. And then there are times, this is just true, that you'll be serving and serving and serving, and guess what? People aren't happy with you. They don't like what you're doing. Or they've been unhappy with how you've been serving them. How do we evaluate what we're doing. How do we keep going when we feel discouraged and we just want to give up? Well, I think one of them is we remember what our purpose is. We remember that our calling is to show the love of Christ through our service. And I may mess up on the details. I do all the time. But this is my goal. This is our sustaining vision. This defines what we do and how we do it. That we want people to experience the love of Jesus through, through us. And I think that helps us keep serving. Third question, what am I called to do? And this is the question of our authority. I know it may seem a weird way to think about service as authority, but stick with me. You know, someone who's authorized to act on behalf of someone else means that they're given authority to do certain things in that person's name or in that person's place. And here's the truth. As followers of Jesus, we've been authorized to serve others in the name of Jesus. To actually get down, bend down, help, As though Jesus himself were there. We're acting on his behalf. We begin authority from Jesus to actively recruit people to follow him and help them understand who Jesus is and what he's all about. And one of the key ways we do that is by serving people. By serving them without demanding repayment. By by giving with no expectation of a return. By simply being God's people and loving in God's way. And nothing gets people's attention more than selfless service. Yeah, there's people out there who will use you. I get that. And we deal with that when it comes. But by and large, nothing gets people's attention more. Nothing gets a community's attention more when a church selflessly serves. Selfless service. There's just there's just nothing like it. You know, Jesus, at the end of his time here on earth, he said that he had give, been given all authority in heaven and earth, the end of Matthew, 10, Matthew 28. And then he commissions his followers to go out into all the world in his name and to help as many people as possible all over the world to get in on God's grace and forgiveness. And we've been authorized by Jesus to do that, to talk about him wherever we go, whether we're gathered here or whether scattered throughout the week in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, wherever we are. And when our words about Jesus are connected to our service to others, boom. It's a catalytic combination. It's amazing what can happen. Jesus himself said that the world would know that we follow him by our love for each other and in other places by our love for the world. The fourth question, the identity question, is so powerful. Who am I? You know, Jesus knew perfectly who he was. And in that humble act of service, even that humiliation of dying on the cross, it didn't take away from that identity. In fact, it sharpened it. It made it more known. It made it more clear. Jesus more fully revealed himself through humble service and then a humiliating death than any sort of golden scepter or some sort of high throne could have ever shown us. His identity, knowing himself as the Son of the Father, compelled the service well. Our identity as children of the Father, that's what compels our service too. Because we are children of this God who serves, we serve. But more than that, you know, in this passage, we're not just children of the Father. We're also servants of Jesus. Jesus himself pulled this out. He says, you know, you're, you're, I'm a teacher. I'm, I'm your Lord. I did this. You're not greater than me. If Jesus serves that way, then we serve that way. If Jesus, who is our Lord and our teacher, who has all authority, who has come from God, all this stuff, if he gets down, wraps a towel around, and serves in the most humble way, then you and I, we can't hold ourselves back and say, no, no, that's too low for me. That's too ugly. That's too demeaning. Whatever. If Jesus serves that way, if Jesus was willing to do whatever it took, then so are we. And I think this is critical for those of us who maybe are feeling unnoticed or unrecognized in our area of service because we can't feel that way, right? Now, I do think that as a community and as families, we need to foster encouragement and gratitude and saying thank you and noticing. That's got to happen. But, you know, it doesn't always happen, right? We don't always notice. The truth is we can serve in ways that, that no one else sees. And many of you I know have served parents or maybe extended family in the last years of their lives and your work of service in them, no one knew No one knew what you were doing. No one saw it. It was often overlooked. In fact, painfully for some of you, you even received criticism. You know, the family that lives far away that calls in to tell you how you should or should not be doing what you're doing and seem to forget the challenges of being the day-in, day-out caregiver from, for an aging or a declining elder. I know that some of you have experienced that. And knowing who you are and who you follow helps. Among us, there are those who serve family members, maybe even a spouse who's never seemed to acknowledge your daily sacrifices. They just don't seem to see it. Or maybe they've never acknowledged that you gave up so much to stay at home with children or, or to move for a new job or that or that you show up for a job every day that you hate to support a family that you love. All that and more can be difficult. But knowing who we are as God's children, that we've been loved, that we've been rescued, we've been filled with God's Spirit, that we've got this destiny, we know where God is taking us, we, we know what He's doing, that can bolster our soul, and I think it can bolster our service. Knowing that Jesus, who, who led us, who died for us, who rose for us, who lives for us, knowing that He didn't consider any task too lowly, well, it helps us keep serving, doesn't it? It helps us keep showing up, even when we are not being noticed when we, we really give for the glory of God and for His pleasure as we see in a moment. God sees that. He doesn't forget. And that leads to our fifth kind of motivating question, the question of destiny. Where's this all going? You know, Jesus knew that what He was doing and His, the culmination of His life's work that He would soon be returning to His Father. And in some way, I think we need to live daily. The sacrifices we make and things we do, we need to live with that reference point that our days are numbered. Count them well. Right? Some of us, it's shorter. Some of it's longer. For all of us, we don't know. But we need to live in, in light of the ultimate destiny that we have as people have been promised by Jesus the resurrection from the dead and the future new creation. That Whatever we give up now, whatever it is, God is going to repay that a hundred times over that whatever we have to slog through, whatever we have to give away, whatever pleasure we have to deny or temptation we have to resist, whatever direction we need to head as we do that for the sake of serving Jesus and others, God is more than trustworthy to make up for it. And Jesus makes that connection. Listen to how he finishes. He says, now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. God will bless you. And that's not the quaint sort of like, oh, bless you. It's like God will pour His favor on you. Like God will will will, will elevate you. God, God will look at your life, and I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what what that means, but but I know because God is so good that it'll be good. Some of you might discover, and I know some of you have because you've told me. Some of you might discover a new relationship with a parent, a relationship you never had. That somehow in those final years of caring for them. You found a new relationship with them that you would never had. And what a blessing that was. Or or maybe some of you will discover a fresh understanding of your identity in Christ as you serve alongside of Him. Or maybe there will be a whole new way of seeing your purpose in life. Others of you may discover the blessing of a new call, even a significant new ministry that grows from what God does. And many of you, or dare I say all of us, will receive the incredible blessing of just seeing God work through us seeing Jesus at work in us in ways that we never could have imagined. God will bless us. God will bless you for serving. Jesus promised that he would. So there you go, five five questions. When do I serve? Why do I serve? What am I called to do? Who am I? And where is this all going? I think that will help us as we serve. But you know, none of those questions really matter, Ultimately. If we don't answer the biggest question of all, which is the question I think the whole story poses to us, will I obey? Will I obey? Jesus said to his followers, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. And so the question is, will we do it? Will we serve? Will we, motivated by the heart of Jesus, stand up from our comfortable places at our table, places where perhaps we are being served, and then serve others who are in need of love, who are in need of help. Because you could go through all those first five questions, you could kind of answer them all correctly, correctly, at least in theory, and then still stay seated at the table, waiting for the next dish to be served. That can happen. But Jesus is calling us without reservation and without qualification to actually get up, to actually bend down, to actually serve. And so my closing challenge for us today is how are you going to obey this teaching of Jesus? Like concretely, not theoretically, not like that was a wonderful message, not that it was, but you know, not that, but like how am I going to put this into practice? Because that's all that matters, right, really? It's not that we have an idea, or that we were, it's how do we live this out? How do we obey it? I want to suggest two action steps for you, but I don't want to limit you. If there's something else that the Holy Spirit is prompting you about, go with that. But two questions I want to ask as potential next actions for you. The first one is, what is one attitude that needs to shift in my heart so that I can serve? This is identifying, like, what's been holding you back? Is it a sense of entitlement? Is that what keeps you from serving? Is it a sense that I should be served? Is it a feeling that I've already got a whole bunch of stuff in the go and I just can't add something else? And that might be true. You need to re-examine some things. But what is it? Is it the attitude that, well, I don't want to serve because last time I tried, I, I didn't get noticed and I, I don't want to do that anymore? What is it? What attitude needs to shift? Is it that... You just don't want to step up and serve because it will obligate you. People expect things from you. They might even require you to grow spiritually in order to do what God is calling you to do. What is it? What attitude is it that needs to shift in your heart so that you can be obedient to what Jesus is calling us to do, how He's calling us to serve? I encourage you to probe that this week. What attitude needs to shift? And the second one is What is one concrete way that you can serve in the name of Jesus this week? What is one concrete way? I'd like to suggest that it's either seeing what you're already doing in a new way, because that really can be very helpful. Some of us who are already serving, seeing it in a new way of serving in the name of Jesus. I'm authorized by Jesus to be here. My purpose in being here is to show the love of Jesus through my service. And that can be a wonderful way of redeeming some difficult things, whether that's raising little kids, whether that's caring for a neighbor. So that it could be naming something that you're already doing. I get that. But it also could be naming something, identifying something that you've been walking past. A neighbor, a teenager, a friend, a classmate at school that you're going to finally see this week after a few weeks away. Maybe it's someone who falls into that category of the lost, the least, and the lonely the people that are so often overlooked by everyone? What is the one concrete way this week, like before we meet again next Sunday, that you will serve in the name of Jesus? What is that one way? You see, serving is one of the defining marks that Jesus is leading your life. Without service activated in your life, There's a real question whether Jesus is leading or not. Serving marks, Christians. Serving marks, followers of Jesus. As they're shaped by the heart of Jesus and they follow him. Jesus did what he did here in this passage to show us what he wants us to do. And as we do that, we will see life change. And I want you, as we close today, just to imagine the difference that this kind of heart in our community Right here in our church, in your own families, in your own marriages, in your own workplaces, I want you to imagine the difference that that would start making in your lives if we began to be the people that God wants us to be. Jesus called us to serve. And that everywhere we go, we see ourselves through the lens of servants who have shown up in the name of Jesus to reveal his love through our actions. The difference that would make in our workplaces is stunning the kind of shift that would happen, the culture in our schools would be remarkable. And sometimes we can't say much as to why we're doing, but we can serve. We can always serve. I want you to imagine the difference it would make in your own marriages if each of you committed to serve the other, if perhaps even one of you committed to serve the other in a new and fresh way, even if the the other partner is not able to understand what you're doing. I want you to begin to see the kind of change that God wants to bring. In this church and in our larger community as we serve. You know, Jesus said that we'd be blessed if we served. And I think we will be. I think we personally will experience God's blessing and favor. I think we'll experience that in our families, in our church. But you know what? Think about God's blessing, when it pours in, it pours out. As it's poured into our lives, it's poured into our communities, it's poured into our church and into our families, it will spill out to our valley, to our town, to our world. You can't contain God's blessing. It just seems to roll over and over everywhere it goes, bringing life. I look at this community and I see wonderful servants of God. And I pray that today, as we've explored this, we'll be even more committed and more challenged to follow Jesus in obedience, receive his blessing, and see lives changed. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for your willingness to get up from the table, to strip down, to wrap a towel around, to pour out the water, bend over and wash dirty feet you the king of all creation the leader of our lives the one who conquered death and sits at the right hand of the father jesus you served us and have called us to follow you in service and i pray today that your heart of service your humility your passion for others your desire to bring healing where there's brokenness to bring cleansing where there's dirt bring life where there is death. I pray that that passion and motivation would just seep into our hearts and, and carry us into your mission. I pray that more and more, our lives, our families, our church would be characterized by your heart of service. And as a result, your love would be shown and lives would be redeemed. We pray this in your name, Jesus, our servant king. Amen.